Welcome to Outside the Music Box. I'm Chloe Prendergast. And I'm Emma Williams. We're so glad you've joined us today. We're both violinists based in the Netherlands and have created this podcast as part of our search to find fun new ways to share and talk about music we love. Each episode, we explore a different piece of music through the eyes of a guest musician. Today's guest is violinist Kati Debritzeni, who was our violin teacher at the Conservatory in The Hague for three years and has now been promoted to our friend. It is possible it's the other way around. Uh, yes, it is definitely the other way around. <laughs> We're total fangirls of Kati. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, she's chosen to bring in Vivaldi's Four Seasons. We do our best to define the relevant music terms throughout the chat, but because this is our world and we're human, there might be things that we miss. So please let us know what these are, and we'll be sure to clarify them in future episodes. And don't worry about trying to remember the pieces and recordings we talk about. They are in the show notes, along with the link to a Spotify playlist, so you can go back and listen to all the pieces from this podcast yourself. Thanks for joining us, and enjoy Vivaldi's Four Seasons. Thank you so much for joining us, Kati. Um, we like to get our guests to introduce themselves. So um, do you mind introducing yourself for everyone? Of course not. My name is Kati Debretseni and uh, I am a violinist who plays on uh, instruments from the period, meaning instruments from the period that the music was written for, which are maybe also called sometimes historical instruments. Uh, but they're all fancy terms for basically different types of instruments. So period violinists use different instruments and different bows for every 50 or 100 years of music written in the past. Mm-hmm. So that's what I do. Yeah. <laughs> you play in a pretty nice orchestra as well. <laughs> I play, I do, I play in a couple of very, very nice orchestras. Um, I I, I lead an orchestra called the English Baroque Soloists, uh, who's associated uh, with a very well-known conductor called Sir John Elliot Gardiner. And then I also lead the Orchestra of the Age of Enlightenment, which is a lovely name for a band that was, um, I think it was founded in 1985, um, I, I was about 14 then, so I didn't play from it from the beginning, but I've played in it since I came to, to England. So um, Yeah, nice. How long have you been in England? Well, I arrived in England to study um, for my master's degree at the Royal College of Music in uh, September 1995. So it's quite a lot of years now. It's a quarter of a century, in fact. I mean, yeah. come to think of wow. it, which is a long time. Yeah, it is a long time. Yeah. <laughs> And you're feeling very English now, aren't you? Um, I think you have to be born here to feel very English. But my daughter definitely feels very English. Mm, she does. She always tells me, Mommy, I'm British. Yeah. She sounds British. Yeah. <laughs> she, does. she does. That's true. Yeah. Is that strange for you to have your daughter seem so British and you don't feel British? I think way? because, well, because she has she has more more than that to her and because, you know, we speak also in Hungarian and uh, my, my husband is from Colombia, so so it's a quite an international household. Yeah. Um, mm. So kind of languages fly about. Um, so so it's not it's not weird because she has she has many sides to her but there's lots of things in her which are definitely British which I came to to really appreciate oh, that's good <laughs> oh, nice. um, and you've brought a very famous work today that probably most of our listeners have heard even if they don't know it uh, can you introduce us to it Absolutely. Uh, it is uh, the very, very famous, as you said, Four Seasons by Antonio Vivaldi, which is an evergreen piece that I think um, if you get into most hotel elevators, you can hear it. You hear it. And then that's Spring from Vivaldi. Um, if you are on hold with the electricity company, if you have the very bad fortune that you have to actually give them a ring uh, and you spend the next two hours on hold, uh, you definitely will hear The Four Seasons by Vivaldi. Several yeah. bits of it, probably. Yes. <laughs> but like just the same, I don't know, 10 seconds repeated over That's and fine. over again. Don't forget. Yeah. Yes. 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 <laughs> um, so uh, ringtones, there are definitely mm. lots of Vivaldi, Vivaldi Four Seasons ringtones. So it, 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 I mean, it's one of those pieces that I think uh, most people, as you said, even if they don't realize that they, they know it, uh, they have heard at least snippets of them. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And it's used for a lot of um, 
like introductions to TV shows. Like it's uh, there's a version that is at, on the chef's table, the Netflix documentary about all the like fancy chefs. And as they're like doing all the plates of the food and it's all very dramatic and it's got this like funky version of the four seasons going. And so, yeah, look out <laughs> for that, guys. That that sounds that sounds about right. I don't I don't watch Netflix, but uh, but I know that a lot of film music used over over the decades used um, uh, the Four Seasons, um, and I mean yes, as you said, I think most people know, even if they don't know. Mm. <laughs> they yeah. Do. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's probably the most famous piece of classical music um, ever written, familiar to non-classical musicians. Yeah, probably quite up there. Yeah, you may be right. Mm. Yeah. And before we go any further, The Four Seasons is a set of four pieces for string orchestra and violin solo, where Vivaldi uses the music in different ways to describe or bring to life the four seasons, in the order of spring, summer, autumn, then winter. For each season, Vivaldi writes a sonnet describing the elements of the weather or nature that the music portrays. And do you remember the first time you heard it? Do you remember getting introduced to it? That's really funny. I tried to think back, uh, and I can't actually remember the first time I heard it. I think it was um, my my father used to have a reel to reel. We used to call it a magnetophone, uh, which which where you had where, where you could record music. It was the uh, forerunner of the um, tape recorder, and it had two tapes running from one to the other um, on a very big device. Uh, and he used to record things from the radio and then play them back. And the one that I loved most was the Beethoven Violin Concerto with Yodi Manuel. Mm. That was the one that we listened to until the tapes broke. And then my father used to, um, uh, you know, glue them with little acetone. He had a he had a machine in which he glued the the, the tapes together again. Yeah. Um, and uh, and the other one I think was I Musici from the Italian group playing the Four Seasons. And I, I do remember hearing it lots at home, but then I can't remember, you know, how old I must have been. You know, I started violin when I was six, as everybody else back in uh, Romania, in my native Romania. And um, uh, I think when I was about 11 or 12, someone gave me a um, old Peter's edition um, of the Four Seasons, the violin parts of the Four Seasons. And I remember trying to play it and thinking, oh my God, this is really difficult music. <laughs> I can't play this, wow. Yeah. And it became a something something to aspire to, to actually be able to play that music. Ah. Um, so that was a nice, uh, a nice, uh, a nice uh, you know, those are nice memories mm. from, uh, from, yeah. from, the, from, from childhood. Yeah. And then when was the first time you actually played? Did you play in the orchestra first or did you play the solo part first or how did it go in your playing career? Um, I also try to remember, I'm really bad in remembering concerts from a long time ago. Um, I try to remember whether we did the four seasons. I used to play in an orchestra called the English Concert. And I try to remember whether we did the four seasons and I don't think we did. So I don't think that I played it in orchestra until much, much later, until I already have learned, as it were. The solo parts. Mm. Uh, I think the first time I prepared it was uh, for a, a Polish orchestra. They invited you to play with them, uh, called Arte dei Suonatori. Uh, they are they are they are a lovely, lovely, very one, wonderful sounding orchestra from Poznan, from the Polish city of Poznan. Uh, and it it had a very kind of a feel of a very close knit community, close knit family, and they practiced a lot. And they worked really hard on really f- refining their sound as an orchestra. You know how to really play together and really blend each other's, you know, to each other's playing. How to create a very unified orchestral sound. Uh, they put in a lot of work in that. Uh, and I, 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 when I, whenever I went, I, I was completely in awe. You know, the rehearsal would end, and then Arik, the leader, would say, "Okay, first violins. Let's just let's just stay for fifteen minutes and work on this bit." And then they would work and work and work and work. It was definitely, you know, kind of Eastern European work ethic, um, and it had wonderful results. 
incredibly great, really good fun in, in Poland. And then, of course, I played it uh, many times uh, with the Orchestra of the Age of Enlightenment and when in Canada with an orchestra and in Norway with an orchestra and in Iceland and so on and so forth. So uh, a lot of a lot of times, a lot of times since then. Yeah. Yeah. I think you were telling me about the one in Norway a couple of years ago where you it was all kind of staged and they were making jokes about against the Swedes and what was <laughs> what happened with that? <laughs> that was a wonderful this was a wonderful um uh, a wonderful undertaking. Um I uh the the four seasons is a programmatic piece. So basically it, the music describes things and in this one, because it's called the Four Seasons, it describes uh, elements of nature, and the passing of time and the passing of seasons, and the features, the the main features that you can hear in each season. So in the spring, of course, the birds are starting to sing, uh, and the shepherd is starting to uh, go out, and and the, the flock starts to graze. And, and so on and so forth. And in the summer, there's a huge summer storm um, and there's lots of summer birds that only sing in the summer. And, and then in the autumn, of course, the um, wine gets harvested with um, consequences to everybody's uh-huh. health and well-being. <laughs> Everybody's shivering because it's ice cold. So all these elements that that we know so well, well, we I say we. Um, I'm what I mean is uh, you know European Eurocentric, etc. Uh, etc. Et because for example, where my my husband comes from in South America, yeah. they don't have four seasons, and neither did I. Oh, well, there we go. Um, but in Europe, in uh, you know, in this little our little Eurocentric world. Um, there's definitely four very different seasons. And um, although now with global warming, they might be slightly less um, extreme, uh, in 18th century Italy, they were definitely uh, present. And Vivaldi takes his inspiration from, from that. Um, so this is, this is um, where, where did I start from? I, there was a reason for, start, for saying that this, is, that this is program music. Oh, no way. Yes. So because this is program music, uh, I always had this idea that it would be wonderful to to combine uh, music with something um, with another form of art to illustrate the connection even better, mm-hmm. so that it's not only in the music that you hear the birds singing, but there's something also visual that shows you the birds singing. And of course, you know, different people do it different ways. And um, I had these ideas, and I managed to do it um, twice in my life with two different uh, ways of, of 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 introducing these extra musical elements. Uh, one was with the Orchestra of the Age of Enlightenment. Uh, we did it with a contemporary dance company as well. Um, and that was fascinating because um, the, uh, the, the the company was called the Henri Oguike uh, Dance Company. Uh, he's, a, he's a British um, choreographer of Nigerian descent. Um, he runs his own 
a contemporary music trip, uh, sorry, contemporary dance trip. Um, and we collaborated. Um, so I went to the dancers' rehearsals and we tried to, um, to, to introduce things like phrase lengths, which in Vivaldi are always, you know, slightly, um, slightly off, off kilter, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a, a musical phrase is, is, is what you say in one go. In, in one breath, as it were, in, in your music. And usually the musical phrase, especially in, in Vivaldi's time, was, was made up of very, very um, symmetrical structures. You know, four bars of music and then another four bars of music. And what Vivaldi does is he subverts your expectations. And there's not four, but five bars of music or nine bars of music, all kinds of odd numbers, uh, which make you feel slightly odd. It throws you off your sense of balance, a bit off kilter. Okay. So, to properly explain what Kati is talking about, we'd have to go down a deep rabbit hole of the mathematics of musical form and phrase structure. We are not going to do that. Instead, think about it in terms of subverting expectations. Like those universal things where you think there's an extra step, but there isn't, and you do this weird step that looks like a drunk flamingo. <laughs> or when you misjudge where your mouth is when drinking a glass of water and it goes down your top. Or maybe that's just us. <laughs> If we think about this in the four seasons, Vivaldi writes the third movement of spring in three bar phrases. So there's three big pulses to the musical sentence. Or if you're walking along to it, you'd probably do six steady steps. But then straight afterwards, instead of writing another three bar phrase to match and answer the first one, he writes a phrase that's 2.75 bars long, where he interrupts the end of the musical sentence by starting the new phrase one beat early to subvert our expectations. Um, and that was really interesting for the dancers because dancers, of course, work with one, two, three, four, you know, and work in phrases. Um, and it was really interesting to see how then the choreography could marry with that with that dance. Um, so that was a fantastic uh, undertaking. Uh, it wasn't as um, cooperative as I imagined because I imagined the whole orchestra being within the dance. And his uh, concept was that the orchestra was more in as a backing, mm. uh, you know, backing track, as it were, for the dancers. And then I ended up being the... Um, the connection between the orchestra and the dancer. And I walked around a lot. Sometimes was with the orchestra and sometimes was within the dancers. And it was very interesting. And I remember, you know, a dancer's foot going about two millimeters next to my violin, my precious 18th century violin, <laughs> you know, <laughs> flying by in the middle of the performance. <laughs> so it was not risk-free, but it was tremendous, no. tremendous fun. It was really something else. And it really elucidated the music in a, in a very different way, seeing that in movement. So seeing the movement that goes with the music, uh, not only hearing the music. But that was still not as theatrical as I would have wished. So the second um, opportunity that I got was, as you said, uh, in Norway. Uh, and it was uh, with a Norwegian orchestra called Barokanerne that I um, collaborate with quite uh, regularly. And uh, they, they built a program of juxtaposing Nordic seasons to Vivaldi's southern seasons. Mm. Because, of course, you know, in the north and the south, there are distinct differences. Um, and they got an actor involved, who's a very some, someone who in Norway is, is, is quite well known, and got a singer involved. And the singer was from a Nordic country, from Sweden. And it was fantastic. Of course, I don't speak Norwegian. But what happened was that the, the, the Swedish singer talked, because he acted as well, um, talked in Swedish, the Norwegian actor uh, in Norwegian, and and the audience understood completely the the both because the languages are so close. So it was not a problem that one was speaking another so, you know, another language. Yeah. And of course, there were plenty of in-house jokes about Swedes and yeah. and and and, uh, and Norwegians, and uh, and uh, it was uh, and the audience really responded very you know very strongly to that. So, uh, so I now know more about what, uh, uh, what, how Swedes are perceived in Norway than I did before. Yeah, good. <laughs> Very informative. Very informative it was. Um, and what we did, what we did there is we tried to kind of semi-stage the four seasons so that it was a little bit more like an opera, 
with the violin as a as a protagonist and the orchestra also as protagonists. So uh, there was a, sort, a certain choreography which everybody in the orchestra we did it just with a very small orchestra. You know the 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 four seasons are written for one solo violin, and then the orchestra consists of two violins, one viola, one cello, and double bass and harpsichord or some or lute or whatever instrument you choose to play the bass line to to have a kind of a jam session on the bass line. Um, and um, so so it, it's actually very few players. So we could um, use the stage um, as a as really a stage and move around, uh, it, it, it required quite a lot of training because when you play, usually you're usually, um, in classical music at, at least, you're stationary. And in other types of music as well, jazz musicians are usually stationary. Indian musicians are usually sitting down. Um, so it depends, it, depends, it depends on the music, but very few musicians with instruments um, uh, run around, except in, possibly in rock concerts, you know, you see guitarists and things and like that, you know, they, they move around on stage, they own the stage. Uh, but usually as a, as a classical violinist, you stand in one, play and, uh, one place and you concentrate on what the right hand and the left hand is doing on the violin, which is usually quite complicated. <laughs> That's so- <laughs> enough to think about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then into this, we introduced the external movement. And uh, it was it was it was a wonderful wonderful experience. There's there's a big hunting scene, for example, in in the third movement of autumn. Uh, the in autumn was the season where the Italian nobility went to hunt, and uh, the third movement of autumn uh, is a proper hunt with a hare or a wildebeest, some kind of wild beast. Um, being hunted down by the rest of the orchestra. And the violin, the solo violin is the beast and the orchestra is the gunshots and dogs, a pack of dogs and so on and so, f- so forth. This, it's all represented there. Um, and so, so I ended up, you know, uh, really running around trying to zigzag, trying to, 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 to get away from them. Uh, and they did shoot me. And at the end, <laughs> they did kill me. They, they crowded oh. around me and I died. <laughs> So it was very, uh, you know, and that was that was uh, that was quite strong. Um, yeah. Uh, it was it was uh, it was it was very uh, very interesting, uh, and it was interesting to um, to to really live the music um, in the body as well yeah. as the as the instruments. So it was a completely different way of of looking at it. Yeah. Um, and and again, lots of fun. Yeah. Was everybody? I assume you had the music memorized. Did everybody in the orchestra as well, so that you could freely move without? They had to. They absolutely had to. Part of the project was that everybody had to memorize the music beforehand, so that we all had to arrive to the first rehearsal um, when we knew the music um, completely by heart, uh, which is much very easy if you're playing the melody line. Yeah, uh, you know, a, le- a line that you can sing. Um, so, because you know, human people, human beings are are singers. We sing in the shower, and we sing in you know, we have voices, so we use them to sing. Um, and the song part is very easy to learn. Yeah. Uh, but as you can imagine, uh, you know, in a in a work like the Four Seasons, uh, there is accompaniment parts as well. And the accompaniment parts, when you don't play the melody, you just play the accompaniments, are really difficult to memorize because they're not so logical. You just have to learn how it goes. You have to say, okay, there's 15 notes of F that I have to play. Then I have to change to G, you know, to another note. And I have to play 17 of those. And then I have to go to, and so on and so forth. So it's much, much, much more difficult. Although I think if you know how the music goes, then it's easier mm-hmm. to to kind of fit into it, but definitely. And would you say this this is kind of your dream performance of it, or do you have another like sort of idea in your head of a dream performance? I think this comes as close as as close as possible. Uh, I wish that we could act better because I don't think that we were uh, <laughs> that that I I, th- I wish we got some acting coaching yeah. actually. That's mm. that's that, that's the only thing that we could that we could do. I think better is to actually yeah. have some coaching of how to act uh, better while we play our instruments, which yeah. is a challenge. <laughs> yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Probably why it's not done so much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We were just talking about this recently. Yeah, we were. Uh, I just get so annoyed whenever there's like fake musicians in TV shows 
who or like musicians but then they can't act and you're just like ah I just I want to be able to see them playing well and also act well (laughs) yeah like must be possible (laughs) that must be possible like there are musicians who could who could act that is that is a thing we could figure out how to do I feel like I would love to have some acting coaching and then be able to like do a play where I'm also the musician yeah I think that's true because also I mean part acting is part of what we do anyway uh, yeah. because the act of the act of playing a, a musical instrument on stage and playing a piece of music is already um, a transmission and therefore an act an act yeah. <laughs> in the best sense of the word. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Well, and we're used to thinking about the story that we're telling through any piece. Like these pieces, the the four seasons, of course, have a story associated with them. But not every piece has one that's been given to us. But it doesn't mean we're not thinking about it. It doesn't mean we're not creating what what is the story and trying to figure out how to best tell it. Mm. That is very true, especially true in Baroque music, wasn't it? Because because yeah. that is built on the ancient art of of rhetoric of persuasion and and rhetoric means telling giving a good speech you know a well constructed and 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 well well formed speech and this this reminds me um um of the speech of the reverend l um sharpton the the funeral of george uh, george floyd yeah yeah uh, it was a very very strong speech and it, it's not i mean for me it was first of all what he said was so pertinent uh but I also admired the way that it was said. It was like the best constructed speech according to the rules of rhetoric. He came. He, he kept coming back, for example, to the phrase "wickedness in high places," mm. uh, alluding to the government's response to to, to everything. Um, and this kept, kept kept coming back like a motto, like a leitmotif. You know, uh, kept coming back um, and kept bringing you back. To, to that to that thought that germ of thought that he had and so on and so forth I mean this is just a small example but um, that that speech is I'm sure, well I'm hoping that it'll be up there with the great speeches of of, of history you know and a well constructed piece of music especially baroque music is is the same that you have the you know it's it's constructed very well and you as a performer uh, have then that duty to as you said tell the story of that yeah. piece. Um, and if you don't tell the story well enough, then the audience will not understand it, and uh, then you failed in your in your in your endeavor in your duty. Um, uh, so, so that is that is something that is something that we that we as as musicians who engage with the Brock era uh, do anyway. You know, every time that we play the we play we play our instruments. But you just mentioned that the um, that the Four Seasons is a programmatic, you know, it, it has a program, and maybe that's something that's worth um, addressing. Just the yeah, um, absolutely the sonnets that that Vivaldi um, uh, pens down and publishes when he publishes uh, these um, these pieces for the first time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you know? Do you actually know if he wrote them? It sounds like there's a lot of speculation. What do you think? There's a lot of speculation. I think well. As, you know, it's not Byron and it's not Shakespeare. Um, right, yeah. And so, so therefore, I'm pretty sure that he, he could have written the poems, um, although so could have other people. I'd like to think that he wrote them himself, that it was something extra that he put in uh, because, as you said, because he wanted this programmatic element to be really present in the, in the, in the music. Um, and it's um, so. So when when the pieces are published for the first time, I think uh, it's seventeen twenty five uh, in in Amsterdam, they were published for the first. Time. Um, then the poems were 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 put in the you know in front of the music, in front of the um, uh, in front of every part. Um, and every part, the first violin part, the second violin part, had all these poems printed. Um, so it was really important that people knew about it because. Printing was expensive, and if you could save on the printing, if you could not print something, you don't. <laughs> so, 
Um, so if those, those those poems, you know, if they, they, they had four more pages printed in every single booklet that they printed, then, then that means that they really wanted people to know about them. Yeah. And of course, the reason that they wanted to know about them is that um, every poem in the first edition has a letter in front of every line. So, okay, this is the line of, oh, okay, so here I'm supposed to imitate a nightingale. Oh, yeah. there I'm supposed to be a dog barking, and so on and mm-hmm. so forth. Um, just going back to the um, the last movement of the autumn, that's one of my favourite movements because I, I just find it so hilarious that um, I do feel like the the beginning is this kind of pompous, gentlemanly, like, you know, oh, we're going off on the hunt and, you know, rah, rah, let's, let's go. And, and then... <laughs> And then it sort of, you know, builds up and then you've got these pizzicatos, so like plucking the strings really hard um, as if they're gunshots. And then it just goes straight back to the sort of like, it's all very just like, okay, yes, now we're done. Off off for some tea. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And it's like also to play it, you physically feel so kind of juxtaposed and, and silly in that kind of, pompous 18th century <laughs> gentlemanly way. And here are those contrasts between the pompous gentleman's hunting music and the gunshots. That is very true. That is very true what you said. Um, uh, I can agree uh, there's the pomposity of the uh, of the of the gentleman of the gentleman hunter and it suddenly then transforms the music trans- it's like very cinematic isn't it it's like mm. the camera shifts camera angle shifts and what you see next after that is already the beast <laughs> running around <laughs> and the people trying to either shoot it or uh, you know batter it to death or uh, whatever they, they try to do uh, with those pizzicatos um I always ask the people to do um, what we call in 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 in, uh, in the classical language Bartok pizzicato, named after the Hungarian composer Béla Bartok, who, who used it for the first time. Which is that you don't just pluck the string; you actually pinch the string with two with two fingers, and then you lift it up and you let it go. And what happens is that the string um, the string rebounds on the on the wood of the fingerboard, and it has this real kind of uh, woody sound and very loud, and it does sound like like a slingshot, like a gunshot. Yeah, yeah. It like snaps. Exactly. Do you have other favorite ways that he illustrates the poems in the music? What are your favorite moments? Let's see. Well, I love the the way that the summer storm develops. Also, I mean, as you know, uh, it's such a good play, isn't it? Mm. And the um, dynamic range, dynamic range means the, the range of, of how loud or how soft uh, you can go is really quite big. It's very extreme. And you can just see, you know, the, the skies clouding over and suddenly the storm coming with thunders and lightnings and, and, and everything. So I think this is one of my one of my favorites. Hunt, as you said, is one of my other favorites, and I love the drunkard in the first movement of. <laughs> I think, yeah. you know, as I said, you know, the the harvest has consequences, and in the first movement of autumn, the violinist and the rest of the orchestra as well uh, spends the whole movement, apart from the the little interruptory motive, uh, which is called um, for those those who, who want to know a ritornello, a ritornello in Italian, something that keeps coming back. So, um, so, so there is always a little theme like the that you just talked about in the third movement. Every concerto has a little, little motive like that. 
uh, that keeps coming back throughout the uh, movement. And this is a device that uh, Vivaldi learned from uh, a little bit before, but he was the major exponent of it from the Baroque era. And then lots of other composers like Bach uh, learned from him and took this model as the Baroque concerto model. So after, in the first movement of autumn, after this little ritornello, which is quite, uh, you know, happy because everybody's going out to, to, to do the harvest, um, uh, it, it all it all disintegrates into... Yeah. It to make yeah and uh, <laughs> and and what happens is if you if you look at it very carefully um it goes through all the stages of being drunk <laughs> so first you stagger around um and can't keep your balance then you become very emotional and start slurring your words <laughs> and then you become very argumentative and this is something that again you know you never argue with a with a with a drunkard um, <laughs> There's not much point in it, um, and uh, and and what happens is that is that uh, that is that is also mirrored in the music. There's this real argument going on between the drunkard, the solo drunkard, and the, the orchestra, and then he becomes very emotional. You know, mm-hmm. when you say, "Oh, well, never mind, I'm the victim of my of the circumstances," and feels <laughs> feels kind of self pity. Yeah, and then afterwards, uh, you fall asleep. Yeah. <laughs> so all, yeah, all the different stages of being drunk are mirrored completely, wonderfully, faithfully uh, in yeah. the music. And this is really an, quite, a, quite. A, I, I find it absolutely brilliant. It's the it's probably the best description of a drunkard in uh, in the history of music. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Here are the examples of what Kati was just talking about in the first movement of Autumn. This is where the drunk solo violinist is staggering around. This is where the violinist gets super emotional and then starts an argument with the rest of the orchestra. This is where they all fall asleep. Ten out of ten would recommend listening to the whole movement for the full drunken experience, though. I guess you also could try listening while you're drunk and let us know how that goes. Hmm. But I mean, you know, the bir- aren't the birds lovely? Yeah, the- yeah. Thing. And and when the when the shepherd is uh, you know uh, just resting by the brook, uh, and then his faithful dog keeps barking at the violas yeah. in the middle movement of spring, uh, that is also very nice. You know, like woof woof. A very, I always think of a very dignified, quite old dog, you know, <laughs> who's barking. It's not a, not a young shepherd dog. It's a, more like a St. Bernard or something, you know, uh, <laughs> barking, woof, woof, all the way through the movement. You know? The faithful dog, he's been there for a long time and yeah. <laughs> It's wonderful. It's uh, it's so inventive. And then you know, in, in winter, in the second movement of winter, which is also the one movement that I think lots of people have heard or know because it has such a beautiful melody. That, that that wonderful wonderful lilting melody, which really puts you to sleep. Well, what happens what happens there is that underneath 
there is a quite layered, textured accompaniment. And each of the layers has a description in the poems. So you have the cello going, and that's the crackling of the wood in the fireplace. And you have the pizzicato, again, plucked violins going, plick, 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 plick. And that is the rain outside hammering in the windows. Um, and and so on and so forth. So 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 that is that is also that's such a it's such a lovely you know uh, peaceful um, yeah. beautiful. It's like a Baroque painting. Mm. You know, you can, you can imagine a, an interior, no, a Vermeer interior, or a you know, or a still life, a Dutch still life. Uh, yeah. And 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 that is you know, it's it's it is very as we said, it's very cinematic music. I think one of my favorites is also the thunder rumbling in the second movement of summer. And um, it's I, part of that, I guess, I don't really know, but I guess it might be because I'm from a place where we had summer storms with thunder and lightning every afternoon. Uh-huh. And it would be, it wasn't humid. So we didn't get the like hot, humid thing that happens before, but it would be hot. And then every afternoon it would, um, everything would sort of explode into a, a storm for an hour yep. or so mm-hmm. with the thunder and the lightning and then it would go back to being warm again yep when it's coming and you don't know when it finishes and it's yeah. there and it, it pours it down for I don't know five ten minutes and it's really scary and then there's a big rainbow and the sun comes out, comes out again and it's all and it's all good it's all past so um, and that is that is again that is also um, it's a very human somehow it's a very human um, uh, experience no mm. yeah uh, and it's so well depicted in the music that yeah. that is again that is something that is something that 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 because of which this, these pieces are so great, because it's a very human experience. The passage of time, the passage of the seasons, going from one to the other, and so on and so on and so forth. And, and when you're a child, you see it one way. And when you're an adult, maybe you're less afraid of the, of the thunder and lightning. Maybe you're more afraid. I have a husband who doesn't like thunder and lightning at all. So, <laughs> you know, um, uh, and and then you know when you're when you're older maybe you look back on it and and then the second the second movement of winter maybe speaks to you in a different way so yeah it's such a human it's it's a very human piece of music yeah and i think also the it not only follows just the sort of cycles of weather but i feel like it works really well with the cycles of human emotion and human experience because, you know, you can go through these like really tumultuous times or things can be happening even just within your head where you just feel like there's kind of, you know, everything's despairing and there's no point. And then maybe the next minute or the next day, oh no, it's actually, it's, it's fine. Like I've processed it now. It's going to be okay. We're going to have this, you know, nice movement that is less intense and and a bit calmer and maybe there's some light again and it's all going to be okay and then things start building again and you know it goes through these kind of cycles of things being fine and then not fine (laughs) Um, yeah which everyone goes through in their own way in life exactly that that is exactly why um it has it has meaning for anyone at any stage um but that is isn't that a piece a sign of, of a great piece of music yeah absolutely yeah and the Four Seasons is definitely one of those one of those pieces, and probably that's why it's so um, popular. It wasn't always so popular, by the way. Oh. Um, uh, there was a big hiatus, I think, between the 18th and the 19th, well, the end of the 18th and the beginning of the, of the 20th century, uh, where nobody cared about the Four Seasons uh, because music had moved on by then. 
it was apparently very popular. I just looked it up, um, how popular it was in the 18th century after after having been published. And it was uh, it was uh, the Italian musicians in the beginning of the 20th century that started the revival. And wasn't that a good thing to do? Yes, absolutely. Thank goodness yeah. for the Italians. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Always, always. Always. And do we know who he wrote these concerti for? Uh, we don't know. Uh, it's yeah. very probable that it was for himself to play. Mm. Um, uh, like he wrote the other very, very difficult uh, violin concertos that he wrote. He wrote more than, I think, more than 600 differently uh, concertos in total. And m- many of them are for violin alone. A lot of them are didactic pieces, of course, because he was, he was, a, you know, he was a priest. He trained as a priest. He was employed uh, by this um, uh, orphanage for for young ladies, for girls and young ladies, the Pietà orphanage in uh, in Venice, uh, which was uh, the church is still there, and you can still see the the grids on the balcony behind which the girls played, because they should have been heard but not seen, of course, mm. according to the conventions of, of the era. Yeah. Um, and uh, and what I uh, didn't understand until much later in life was that we always thought that Vivaldi wrote for little girls to, you know, for a lot of concertos for little girls to play. But actually, um, the orphanage uh, was was one of those that took in, um, you know, babies left foundlings. It was a foundling, like a foundling hospital. So they took in foundlings that were left at the doorstep and then they cared for them until they were 18 years old. Now, at 18, a girl either married and left the orphanage and had a married life, or uh, they stayed, uh, if they're unmarried, if they were spinsters, then they stayed in the orphanage and many of them became nuns. Mm -hmm. So actually, they could stay there all their lives. So the fact that he wrote this music, um, or a lot of his music for the orphanage, it doesn't mean that it was played only by young people. Um, so, so it's not, you know, it's not so much that he wrote for didactic pieces for young children. It's that he wrote a lot of pieces for all kinds of abilities Mm. uh, from Mm -hmm. quite beginning uh, until very, very, very advanced. But a few pieces we do know that he wrote for himself. Um, the, um, there is a concerto called the concerto for the Holy Tongue of St. Anthony of Padua, for example. And it's a very difficult concerto with a fiendish cadenza. <laughs> and then we call it the Battersea Doghouse Concerto. It's a rescue home for dogs and cats. And we it's called the Battersea Doghouse Concerto because it goes so high that only dogs can hear it. So, <laughs> <laughs> so he wrote that for definitely for himself. Very, very difficult piece. Very virtuosic piece. Mm-hmm. And before he, he wrote the concerto that uh, Chloe played, the Grosso Mogul. Mm-hmm. Why it's the Great Mughal, we don't know, but that's the nickname that the concerto got. And it's, again, it's a very, very, very con- um, fiendishly difficult concerto with a very difficult um, solo part where everybody stops and the violin goes and does some very fireworky things in the first and in the third movement. And, yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and uh, yeah, that was, that was brilliant. I still remember your recital in that one. And... Uh, <laughs> Uh, they, they, that was also probably written for him, for himself. But we also know, for example, some the names of some girls in the Pietà who were virtuoso players. There was one called Anna Maria, whose name mm-hmm. survives because it survives in some of the manuscripts that Vivaldi wrote. And the concertos that were written for her are just as difficult, if not more difficult, than the Four Seasons. Mm. So did Anna Maria play it? You know, did Vivaldi himself play it? Who knows? Uh, but he definitely he he must have played it. He must have played this music. Mm. Yeah, 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 fantastic. Mm. Um, I well, I think we might have to start wrapping it up. Um, even though we could talk about this for ages. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to say about this piece before we start finishing off? No, I think I think I think we I think we talked about lots of aspects of it, uh, quite a lot of aspects of it, and quite a lot of um, side tracks as well, which is always my way of, my way of addressing. <laughs> we go down to, and then you come back to the main road, <laughs> and admire the view, admire the view in the meantime. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Well, we have one final question before we um, finish. Um, is there a piece of music from another instrument's repertoire that you're jealous of? Ooh, that's a very good question. Wow. <laughs> Let me have a little think. Uh, yes, I think, well, in if I think of the Baroque era, 
then uh, the music written in the French Baroque for the viola da gamba mm. is something that I'm absolutely jealous for. Uh, those suites by by Forcure and Marais uh, are just, just fantastic. Brahms' piano concertos are probably up there. Yeah. Wow, yeah. <laughs> Um, all the Mozart, we have five Mozart um, violin concertos, which are all fantastic. But the pianists have, I think, 22 or 27, I can't remember. Mm. Um, and I'm jealous of those. <laughs> um, and uh, we have wonderful things to do in operas, in sitting in the pit and accompanying. Uh, but singers can sing Mozart arias. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and Emma knows very well because she's also a singer. Yeah, yes, They're pretty great. So, so um, uh, those some of those, you know, Porgiamore and things like that. Uh, I think I would be, I, I, I would be jealous of, and something like the Dvorak cello concerto. I don't know, you know, so a lot, lot of things, quite a lot of things. But, but, but we're so fortunate, you know. We ha- we 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 play an instrument that is that is very very expressive. Yeah, um, and it's very close to the human voice. Mm. Uh, so we have a very very versatile instrument so in fact i think i'll stick with with what i do okay (laughs) that's a very good answer um thank you so much for joining us kati and for coming and talking about vivaldi in the four seasons um for our listeners if they want to be able to find you get in touch with you support you what's the best way for them to do that um they can get in touch uh, via the orchestra of the age of enlightenment or via the English Baroque soloists. And if they want to find your recording of the Four Seasons, what's the best way for them to purchase that? If you if you just Google Cathy Debrecenny Vivaldi Four Seasons, it'll you know orchestra the Age of Enlightenment. It'll come right up mm-hmm. on Presto Classical or from the OE website or from wherever wherever you'd like you'd like it. Yeah, perfect. We'll pop those in the show notes. so much for tuning in to Outside the Music Box. We hope you enjoyed our chat with Kathy Debrett-Senny. If so, please rate and review this podcast. It really makes a difference in the algorithm of internet sharing magic and helps our visibility. We'd also love to hear from you. If you have any questions or want to share music that you love, you can write to us at concerts.musicbox at gmail.com or on Facebook and Instagram at musicboxconcerts. Ask us all the questions and we'll get back to you. In the show notes, we've included links to three Spotify playlists, one specifically for the pieces in this episode, and the others for all the pieces we've talked about on this podcast so far. However, we really encourage you to purchase music in order to support the artists. The best way to support Kati is going to the Orchestra of the Age of Enlightenment and the English Baroque Soloists' websites, both of which are in the show notes. See you next time outside the music box. Music box.